Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. It's The List and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross. Alright, you guys are live. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, managing editor, sole editor of com <laughs> here. It is Wednesday, October 4th. List and your boy, number 40. We hit the 40 mark. Jimmy, now that we've hit the 40 mark, I don't know if you know this, but we got to start taking our vitamin C. Uh-huh. It helps the arteries, I hear. This is – I was telling Nigel off the air. I've done research on this. Are you? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I've done research on this. The research that I have read and I've seen YouTube videos and I've even talked to a couple of nutritionists and apparently, uh, yeah, clogged arteries are due to uh, deficiency in vitamin C. You so. saw my uh, supplement box. I make sure to get my vitamins in. Yeah, you got you a little bit too much. You got a bit too much. No, I've, I got fish oil. I got my Onnit Alpha Brain. Um, multivitamin. I think that's it. The thing was Some like... DH- you had Some like DHEA. Tw- you had 24 days on that that vitamin pack that you showed me. It was 28, but yeah. And only like two pills per day? No, no. I got two fish oil in there, a multivitamin, DHEA, and my Alpha Brain, so five. Okay, so uh, how's everything going? It's going beautifully, as as Vinny Fernando says. Are we at the midlife crisis stage on the listen, your boy? Do we get a fightful sports car? Because we're 40. Uh, yeah, there there will Come be on. no Fightful Sports Car. That's not going to happen. You can rent one. You can put Ellsworth out of the top of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, could get a, sunroof. I could get a Hot Wheels version if you want. I can that get one of those. The Power Wheels version, like the little one with the battery. That's that possible. Cool. That's possible. Get okay. Nigel in the back of that. That could work. <laughs> I, uh, I want to start out by uh, touching upon Lance Russell. 
He passed away this week at 91. He was the voice of Memphis Wrestling for many years. So I was not a big Memphis Wrestling guy because as a kid growing up in Ontario, Canada, WWE ruled the roost up here. Uh, and as a kid, uh, that's really all I could get access to on television. Years later, because of videotape and the internet, I was able to go back and see a lot of his stuff. But um, Nigel, I, I love telling Nigel wrestling stories that he's not familiar with. You know what my favorite story about Lance Russell, Sean? What's that? Is a story of how Jerry Lawler got into Memphis wrestling. Uh, so Nigel, Lance Russell, this guy was a longtime commentator for pro wrestling in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, back when wrestling was territorial. And Memphis had a territory. Jerry Lawler, who went on to become the most famous wrestler ever in Memphis, was a teenager, and he was a fan of, of Memphis wrestling, and he was a very good artist, still a really good artist. And he started writing, or started drawing caricatures of the wrestlers, sending them in, and Lance Russell started showing them on television. And then Lance Russell called Jerry Lawler and said, we love the, uh, the artwork, do you want to keep sending them in every week? So he did. Then a wrestler named Jackie Fargo, who was the, the king at the time of Memphis wrestling, needed graphics work done for, I think it was an auto body shop, Sean? Yes. Uh, and that kind of, that relationship kind of led the way. Jerry Lawler ended up not only becoming the top wrestler in the territory, he became co-owner of the territory. Lance Russell essentially became his employee. Uh, that's a hell of a story. Like, you can't write a better script than that, Sean. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's a way to get in. You hear a lot of – I love hearing stories about how people broke in back then because it was very hard to break in it was. at times back then. It was. But can you imagine being a teenager essentially drawing cartoons and then within like 10 years you're the, the, the co-promoter and you're the boss of that commentator that essentially helped you get in. And they remained friends for many years. And as a matter of fact, when Lawler went to the Hall of Fame, he wanted Lance Russell to induct him. And WWE wouldn't allow it because, you know, the Hall of Fame is just a marketing ploy. That's all it is. And uh, they thought that it was a better look if William Shatner, of all fucking people, inducted yeah. Jerry Lawler into the Hall of Fame. So they had him do it, even though Lawler wanted Lance Russell. Uh, but I, thought, I think that's a great story about, about how Lance Russell helped Jerry Lawler get in. And let's be honest, 91, you've done all right. Yes. Right? He, I did, mean, he did very well. Couldn't we all be that lucky that the guy yeah. lived to be 91? So. Uh, hearing nothing but good things about him. Everybody's been complimentary about him. What a good guy he was. And again, 91, not much to complain about. A member of the NWA Hall of Fame, I encourage you guys to listen to last night's post-Smackdown show. Jeff Hawkins spoke about Lance Russell a bit. Definitely more cognizant of his accomplishments and his strengths than, than I was, but I've always enjoyed his work. I've always enjoyed going back and, and listening to what he did. Right. A special talent, a, a just a special person who made everybody better uh -huh. by by doing what he did. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's talk about WWE Raw. So, do you remember when Jinder Mahal was on Chris Jericho's podcast, and he said that Vince McMahon told him, "Don't worry about the fact that you've been enhancement talent for eight months because the people forget, and so yeah. you can be the WWE champion and it'll be fine." So we already know, based on that story, that Vincent Mann, number one, uh, thinks that his fan base is stupid, thinks that they have short-term memory loss, uh, and thinks that within an eight-month window, he can uh, completely change things that people are going to forget. Did you ever think, though, that people's short-term memory loss is so poor that he can change things between one and four weeks and people are going to forget? This guy was getting beat up by Rob Gronkowski shortly before this and Mojo Raleigh like Mojo Raleigh was pinning this guy yeah but beyond that so on Raw this week Enzo Amore 
Okay, so last week on Raw, he gets uh, jumped by the entire Cruiserweight division, and they leave him laying in the ring. That was last Monday, right? Last mm -hmm. Tuesday on 205 Live, Enzo Amore finishes the show gloating because he just laid out Neville with a crutch. Yeah. That means that last Tuesday, Enzo Amore is quote-unquote on top, right? They, they often treat that show like it just doesn't exist, though. And that's what they did. They treated it like it didn't exist. Now, this past Monday, Enzo is uh, pouting, and he doesn't want to talk because he's so distraught about the attack. And I watched that thinking, but you you jumped the guy on Tuesday, and you were dancing in the ring afterwards. Yeah. And then if that that, was... as if that wasn't bad enough, I think it was late August, early September, Nia Jax comes down to the ring to congratulate Alexa Bliss on winning the women's title, <sighs> jumps her, drops her with the uh, electric chair in the ring, is one of her opponents at no mercy, and now on Raw, they're hanging out in the locker room together. They, they built, like, for a month up to this, this friendship, quote-unquote, being broken. Right, right. And Nia Jax on Twitter says, we don't have to tell you all when we make up. We don't, it's not your business. I'm like, it's a TV show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important. And, and, and the that. reason Nia Jax doesn't have to tell them is because she probably had no clue either until she probably yeah. showed up to work and was told this is what you're doing. Uh, one other thing that... They gotta say something. They gotta step up and say, hey, just run a backstage segment where they walk into each other. Right. Just set it up. It's true. And and one other thing about the show that I... I I'm, I'm kind of nitpicking a little bit. Uh, I didn't care for the fact that Sheamus and Cesaro attacked Roman Reigns just because they had nothing to do with Roman Reigns. They had completely nothing to do with him. Now, I'm saying I'm nitpicking because they did mock the shield with Miz later. Uh, and so at least they kind of showed, you know, because they're already feuding with Ambrose and Rollins. So at least they did show that there is, I guess, that fluidity. But when they jumped Roman Reigns, I just thought, you have nothing to do with this. You have zero to do with this match. You have not been feuding with Roman Reigns. Why are you there? Clearly, it's because creative wants them in the match of Survivor Series. I couldn't think of a better way to do it. And that's essentially what it was. Uh, I thought this was one of the most creatively sloppy shows I can recall, at least outside of SmackDown. Um, and that, that's what happens when you, you have a moment in mind and you don't have any substance to it. Right, you don't know how to get there. Just, I'm sorry, but there's no combination involving Miz, Cesaro, Sheamus, any of those three right. that anybody is going to buy the shield not beating. Right, And the right. only thing that would make me care about it is if all those titles were on the line, the Intercontinental and Tag Team titles. Really, all Sheamus and Cesaro had to go off of is that Reigns referenced them in a promo. That's it. Right. That's all. Right, right. And, and, and he didn't really mock them in the promo. He said, well, you know, you guys, they got beat by Ambrose and Rollins, but he didn't really mock them. Um, Bray Wyatt. So, Boy. do you think that Bray Wyatt now is going to have a second persona that is a female that is a sister or do you think and Nigel as a non-wrestling fan must be listening to this going what the fuck are you guys talking about <laughs> oh yeah so do you think Bray Wyatt is going to have a second persona that is a sister like the demon for Finn Balor and I, I, I always reference the Great Muda because Finn Balor's whole thing reminds me of the Great Muda or do you think that they're actually going to bring in a female performer to portray Sister Abigail. I know that uh, um, Sage Beckett, who was in the Mae Young Classic, she posted a, a little thing on Twitter 
Uh, it was like a cryptic tweet. Had people wondering if it might be her. I was doing some thoughts, thinking myself as it, who would make a really good Sister Abigail? And the two names that came up for me, Nikki Cross and Rosemary. Uh, Rosemary's in her mid-30s. I think that would be a tough... Maybe, but she'd be great with that kind of character and the paint and all that stuff. Now, the problem with Nikki Cross is that she's insanity. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of doing their thing in NXT and whatever. But uh, what do you think? Because it sure looks like all it is going to be is Bray Wyatt having a second persona that's his sister. What do you think? Yeah, and the problem is with that is that that wasn't the plan to begin with. Right. They had no plan to begin with. They just saw an opening and tried to go with it. Right. Now, now what happens? Is he going to lose this match? And if he wins... Do they yeah. bring it back ever? Why would he bring it back out ever if he lost? If he wins, then why would he ever abandon it? Because he loses all the damn time. Right. There is no rhyme or reason to the Bray Wyatt character. I've said it several times. He needs a hard reset. He does. He does. Real bad. And if he does win, then what? Are they going to have a rematch again? And then how do you go to Finn Balor versus... Anybody. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Anybody. Yeah, whatever. Uh, one other thing from Raw. Uh, well, a couple other things. Um, so they have the big main event segment, and I realize that the main event segment isn't as important anymore because of ratings numbers and whatnot. But they go to the main event segment. Enzo Amore's in the ring. He's gloating because the cruiserweights can't touch him contractually. Uh, and then Kurt Angle comes out to announce gloriously, we have a new signee on the Raw roster, and here he is. And I guarantee you, Sean, that the people in that building thought that Rey Mysterio was about to walk out. I guarantee you, they thought Rey Mysterio was going to walk out. And who comes running out? Callisto. Of all people, Callisto. Uh, the crowd... <laughs> <laughs> the whole crowd basically farted. And then Callisto ran out to begin a program nobody cares about. Can you recall a more underwhelming payoff in recent WWE history? Can you recall one? Ugh, man. You have to think about it, right? Gobbledygooker, maybe. That was 30 years ago. You can't think of yeah. anything since? No. And I'm sitting here thinking of people who would have been better. And I'm like, okay, Rey Mysterio. Rey, Rey, Rey would have been the perfect guy. Like, people would have uh, popped for that. Matt Hardy's a former cruiserweight champion, but he ain't 205 pounds anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Shane Helms would have got a better reaction. The Hurricane for a one-night return would have got a better he reaction. He would have got a better reaction. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, just because of his music. Adam Cole, Aleister Black, Hideo Itami. Now, is Adam Cole in that position? No. no. It's below him. I think. I think that Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne would have been better choices. Don't know if they would have gotten any better of a reaction because not uh, that crowd doesn't know who they are. They wouldn't But have. still... All in all, it would have been a better choice because if you're going to get that reaction, you yeah. might as well get that reaction from somebody that people could potentially care about yeah. as opposed to somebody that the crowd has already made up their minds that they don't care about. Right, right. I thought that, that the play was – which I, Mysterio is not available right now, but I thought the play was Alistair Black or Hideo Itami. Those right. were your two options because if Itami was ever going to be over, it's going to be working with a – and Enzo Amore, but we've seen that Atami doesn't necessarily work as a babyface. So, yeah, and I don't know if they would have gotten a reaction either yet. I mean, I don't know if the if the raw audience is overly familiar with those guys. Yeah, know. but they haven't they haven't thrown this guy they haven't thrown those guys out the window on true. worldwide television for three years either. True, it's true. 
Yeah. All right. It's time to go to the big one. So here, here was the other thing about Raw that I want mm. to talk about. Nigel, God, I want to hear your response to this one. Okay. Um, so every October, WWE partners up with, with the Susan G. Komen Foundation. It's for breast cancer awareness. Uh, and, uh, you know, usually they'll bring some ladies out that are breast cancer survivors. And I actually really like that aspect of it. I like that they give the women an individual moment. I like that they refer to them by name. Uh, so they don't just, you know, treat them as a number and group them together. Like they actually give them their individual moment. And I like that part of it. Here's my issue, and it's a multifaceted issue or a multi-pronged issue. First and foremost, Sean, the famous tweet, right, from Stephanie McMahon. So whenever WWE does these segments, I can't help but think of Stephanie McMahon and her moronic tweet from two or three years ago when she said, what'd she say, Sean? Philanthropy is the future of marketing? Yes. Something like that? Philanthropy is the future of marketing. And Stephanie McMahon, a executive in WWE, was a stupid enough moron to tweet, philanthropy is the future of marketing. She did it on the day that Connor was going into the Hall of Fame after he passed from cancer because she's just a fucking idiot. But whenever I see these segments on television now, that's the first thing I think of. And it makes me question, how genuine is WWE? What are their motives, right? Are they doing this for PR kind of thing? Uh, and you know they are. But here's my second major issue with this. Um, now, Dana Warrior... Seems like a nice lady. Uh, obviously, she went through some hard times. She lost her husband unexpectedly. I think she's done very well in, in raising her two daughters by herself. Uh, and I also give credit to WWE for um, giving her something to do, giving her a means to make an income and all of that. You know, I could do without all the pink and all that stuff, but uh, she seems nice enough. My issue is uh, they are essentially utilizing the Ultimate Warrior as a... What's the right term, Sean? As, a mascot is what I referred to it as. I guess a mascot. I guess an he, inspiration. Uh, he's, you know, Dana Warrior keeps on referring to Warrior Spirit. They have mm. the breast cancer survivors wearing Ultimate Warrior t-shirts. They hit the Warriors music. She goes up and shakes the ropes with uh, with them, with, which, which was, of course, the Warriors' big move. Um, now, I'm a little bit torn on the whole util, utilizing the Ultimate Warrior for this. And, uh, and let's go into it. Nigel, I can't wait to, to hear what you have to say about some of this stuff. So um, Deadspin.com did an article back in April of 2014 written by Barry Pacheski. And the title of this article was The Ultimate Warrior Was an Insane Dick. It's the article's title. And it basically talks about his history in terms of comments that he made either through online blogs or through public speech, speaking engagements. Uh, and the Warrior was a very controversial figure. Now, WWE has a tendency to rewrite history uh, in whatever way they see fit, right? And they have a history to want to try to paint their own picture. And so, obviously, at a time when they were at odds with the Ultimate Warrior, they created a DVD called The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, where everybody was shitting on him. But then, years later, they needed a headliner for the Hall of Fame one year, because, again, the Hall of Fame is strictly a marketing ploy and a way for them to make money. They needed a headliner, so they went to the Warrior. They made amends with him. Warrior, to his credit, I think he knew he was ill. And so he cut a deal with him in order to, to provide for his family. Um, but all the stuff that he has said over the years is, is out there. You can see the videos. There's audio clips. Uh, the, the transcripts from his blogs are out there. He said some very controversial stuff. And so that makes me question, WWE, as a public company, do you really want to potentially bring that kind of heat on yourself, especially when you're talking about something like breast cancer awareness, do you really want to potentially 
put that kind of heat on yourself, and I, I think it's a, a very unwise thing. Before we go into these quotes, Sean, what do you think about utilizing the ultimate warrior as the, whatever you want to call them, mascot, as you said, as the inspiration for this breast cancer awareness campaign? I'm grossed out. Right. The things that he said about Bobby Heenan, who mm -hmm. he knew had cancer, after the the destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. Now, I'm sure he was hurt and tar felt targeted and angry by that DVD, and that DVD was uncalled for. Absolutely. It would, they only produced that DVD to take a shot at him because he wouldn't do their DVD That's that right. they wanted to do. They were just trying to make a buck off of it. Absolutely. But when you go and you say... Like Vince McMahon couldn't have come up with a better finish for this. Karma is a beautiful thing to behold. Uh, when you're going to be faced with emptying your own personal shit bag, affirming that you're the true value of what you achieved in life, like really celebrating the fact that this man has cancer. Right. And then <clears throat> you do a Warrior Award, which is completely opposite of what he wanted to do in that award to begin with but right. that's that's neither here that's nor a there. different topic yeah well let's well let's... i mean it's, it's not that different of a topic because eric legrand won that award yeah and he clowned darren drozdov for being a cripple in this same blog post right. that i talked about right right i think that is gross dude like super gross right right so back in 2005 uh the so the warrior in his post-wrestling life he did a lot of public speaking engagements he was very active on his website, theultimatewarrior.com. He wrote a lot of blogs and things like that. Uh, he was actually, you know, one of the earlier guys to hit social media in terms of, you know, pro wrestling stars. And in uh, 2005, he was at a Young Republicans hosted event at the University of Connecticut. He said, this is a quote, queering don't make the world work. Then on his website, he had something that he called Warrior on Queer Studies. And he talked about a speaking engagement that he'd had at DePaul University in Chicago. He noted that there were, and this is a quote, two physically repulsive bitch dykes slurping on one another's tongues. And he said, uh, they ran out screaming and yelling like speared wild boars that I was a homophobe for making my remarks. Uh, then to make it a little worse, on his website after Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I believe it was in uh, mid to late August of, of 2005. Uh, this blog post was dated October 3, 2005, so about six weeks later. This is a quote. He said, they never gave a care for order, cleanliness, or function before, but now that they can get someone's attention who will possibly take over the responsibility of their life for them, they go on these tirades about how their life has been ruined. Uh, then he also said, they claim New Orleans was a great city. Maybe once it was, I don't know. Maybe it's just always been corrupt as it has been for years and years. True this today, it was nothing more than a pornographic cesspool of decadence and depravity. Um, then when Heath Ledger died... And he died from an accidental overdose, right? The warrior posted on his blog, his kid is without a father, yes, but the negative influence is now removed and his own child has the chance for a full recovery. Um, and then you mentioned the thing about when they released the self-destruction of Ultimate Warrior DVD. And granted, the warrior was hurt by that and, and he had a lot of bitterness about that. But like you said, he referred to Draws as a cripple. Uh, he referred to Todd Grisham, who's the other co-host, as a queer um, and here's a quote from Matt. He said, order the queer and the cripple who host the show to read what I have written here and here. And then those are links to articles that he'd written. And while they do that, have them hold up mirrors looking at themselves so they can know exactly the kind of people in your organization I'm writing about. No apologies. I don't discriminate for the handicapped who sign on to behave degenerately. Um, now, I noticed that somebody uh, who's clearly a Warrior fan was 
talking to you on Twitter and kind of saying, what are you doing, kind of taking shots at him when he's passed? And I want to make it clear, and I'm going to tell you in a minute why I'm torn on this whole thing. I'm not taking shots at the Warrior. And and the fact is, and I, I think I've told this before, I had dealings with the Warrior back in uh, 99 or 2000, and he actually was helpful to me when I had an independent promoter that owed me money. And uh, I, I knew I was going to get screwed in that deal, and he was falsely advertising the Warrior's name and likeness. And so I thought, you know what, if I'm going to get screwed on the money anyway, maybe I, there's something I can do good about this whole thing and I contacted the Ultimate Warrior through his website didn't even think I was going to get a response and he responded the same day and we talked about the the promoter and I sent him a, an event poster he wanted me to come to Phoenix for a deposition which I didn't want to do and then I told the Warrior when I got a legal letter from the promoter basically sent, basically threatening a lawsuit uh, and Warrior basically said fuck this guy he's not going to sue you he's using scare tactics he's doing this so that he can get out of paying you uh, and he said, don't worry about it. He's not going to sue you. And nothing did come of it. So I'm torn on it because on the one hand, Warrior was cool to me when I dealt with him. But on the other hand, when you're a public company, and this is a breast cancer awareness campaign, you put yourself at risk when you're using, based on the things he said, using him as your mascot, like you said. All you need is for a major media publication to get wind of this. And granted, wrestling is always taken differently from mainstream media. So it could go under the radar, but all you need is for a main, is for a, a publication to get wind of this, and it's going to be a major story about yeah. this is the guy you're using, and this is how you're painting him to be a saint now, and here are all the things that he said over a course of several years. So I just think as a public company, it's a very, I think they're treading on, they're, you know, they should be treading wise more wisely, I guess. As I mentioned last night, Zack Ryder, Jim Duggan, Michelle McCool have all battled cancer. You got those three. Darren Drozdov was paralyzed in a WWE ring, didn't sue the company, right. remained with them for years. Zach Gowan wrestled with one leg. You have inspirational characters and people who have overcome crazy things. You've got Diamond Dallas Page who has literally brought people nearly from their deathbed yeah. and like helped them become productive members of society. I wrote an article that's going to go up tomorrow. By all indications, there is no like evidence that Warrior ever apologized for any of this psychotic shit that he said. And yeah, and, and you know what? I feel like we need to say this. Uh, in recent years, he had toned it down when it came to the political commentary. Maybe it's because he got married and had a family, but he, he did tone it down. But at the same time, if you look at it like this, everything – Think about all the shit that Donald Trump is taking right now because of those Puerto Rico comments. And I realize that's the president, and I realize that this is on another level. But the fact of the matter is, my wife is here with an umbrella. Thank you. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, <laughs> she just showed up in the window right there. But the fact of the matter is, uh, Trump did not say anything anywhere close to what Warrior did. Warrior basically called the people of New Orleans fat. He called them dysfunctional. Um, he said a lot of a lot of crazy shit. And again, when you're a public company and you're dealing with shareholders and you're dealing with something sensitive like a breast cancer awareness campaign, you might want to be a little wiser than uh, putting yourself in a situation where somebody might do a little bit of research, find out about this guy that you're using as your mascot, as you say. I, I just think it's not very smart. Saying, I was a dick in a bad place, my bad, I'm sorry, goes a long way. He never did that. Right, and I there were people that replied to my quote. I posted the the quote about Heenan on Twitter. Said it's easy to take shots at him now that he's gone. Well, he had a decade or nine years after that happened to say, 
Okay, I'm sorry. And again, I'm not here Bad to take place. shots. I'm not here to take yeah. shots at the Warrior because, again, he my dealings with him personally were fine. I'm not going to say, oh, Warrior was an asshole and Warrior's this and that. I'm just telling the facts. I mean, I own this guy's action figure. I played as him on video games. My wife dressed up as the Ultimate Warrior for a Halloween contest a few years ago. I can separate the character, yeah. the Ultimate Warrior, the colorful guy, the logo, all that stuff. I can separate mm-hmm. that. From the dude, Jen right. Helwig, later known as Warrior. I'm able to do that. Where I draw the line is where they say, okay, let's uh, let's make him the face of this cancer brand. That would kind of be like taking Ludwig Borga and saying, okay, we're going to use this, like, do a tolerance award when they had to cover up the guy's, like, swastika tattoo. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't it's, – it's a little weird to do that to mm-hmm. me. Especially when you have other options. I get it. The Warrior logo is cool. Mm-hmm. He was a very intriguing character. There was all that. All the dude had to say before he passed away was, I'm sorry. I was in a bad place when I said that really racist, hateful, homophobic shit and the stuff about cancer pa- a cancer patient. And, I mean – I, I don't know Dana Warrior's feelings on the situation and every bit of information that I've gotten about her and her work with WWE yeah. from those – from wrestlers, from employees has been nothing but positive. I've heard yeah. nothing but good things about her and her daughters. Right. Like they are beloved backstage in WWE. Sure, sure. And I, I really hope that that isn't – those comments aren't her idea of embodying the sport spirit of the warrior. And maybe this is partly her way of rewriting that, not wanting her husband to be remembered for that inflammatory horse shit. But uh, yeah, and, th- those quotes still exist. And you know what? I, I guess in defense of the warrior too, I mean, I again, I think that he knew he was ill. And I think he knew his time was, was, was going to be cut short. But I don't think he thought he was going to pass the day after Raw. And so he still could have apologized if he had the opportunity. Yes. He still could have. Yeah. So that, that's why I'm not going to shit on the guy personally. I'm just stating the facts, and these are the things that he said. Uh, and he didn't just do it once. He did it many, many times, both on his website and in, in public speaking engagements. And the stuff is available online, which, again, is why I would question why a public company would want to, you know, essentially potentially throw gas on that fire. But yeah. uh, but like we talked about, they like to rewrite their own history. So like you said, you know the music is cool, the face paint, the logo, shaking the ropes, all that makes for a nice little story. But uh, they should be smart, you know, when you're a public company dealing with something as serious as a breast cancer awareness campaign. But uh, ah, it is what it is, man. I wanted to talk about that. We have a little bit of a lighter subject to get into. The walls of Jericho was used in an MMA fight. Jimmy. Amazing, amazing. And if if anybody watches our Holy Smokes podcast Tuesdays, three p.m. Eastern. By the way, we're coming at you tomorrow with James Lynch, new Fightful.com hire, six p.m. Eastern for an MMA podcast. You'll you'll often hear me talk about how embarrassing it is for pro fighters, especially, but any fighter, to get caught in a Von Flu choke. It's a hold that you have to pretty much put yourself in. And I've went off on it. This is much worse. This is way worse being put in a boston crap there are real <laughs> opportunities for this to happen yeah. you can bear crawl over a closed guard and make it happen you can grab an ankle step over and make it happen but still extremely low percentage and generally it just happens with one leg mm-hmm. generally this fella in the uk got both on stuck his tongue out <laughs> shook his head completely clowned the situation 
and we spoke to former UFC fighter who actually left the UFC on a three-fight winning streak, Sean Pearson, about this Boston Crab, and it was it was a good time. Here you go. Uh, over the, I think it was the past weekend, uh, there was a submission overseas. The Boston Crab, the walls of Jericho, uh, were applied inside of a cage. Uh, did you have a chance to see that submission, and what were your thoughts? I saw it, and it, again, it, I was, my biggest concern was, I don't know if I saw Ralphus in that guy's corner. Was he related to Ralphus at all? Or do you know who Ralphus is, Joe? Like, I don't know if you're, if you know how serious this really is. Like that was JPS all over it. I, I swear to God, it was JPS. And I don't know. Chris was Chris is you know with his band out there, but I I really think that this is the JPS Ralphus or his son or someone he's been training coming out. Of. That was that was great. <laughs> you think you could apply a Boston crab on someone in a fight and actually pull it off? One hundred percent. The way you know you go to the this is the sad part about MMA in the the lower ranks. The truth of the matter is the skill discrepancy is huge. And then with everybody now trying to build the records up because everybody needs to be 8-0, let's call a spade a spade. I could go back right now at 41 years old and, and throw moves on guys that I see in there. Just do what I want. Um, it, it was almost a joke when I watched the video. I heard the guy laughing. Like the guy, like it's like his quarterman's laughing going, yeah, this is, this is a gong show. You know what I mean? Like what a mismatch. And I didn't see the whole fight, so maybe it wasn't a mismatch, but – I just look at that kind of stuff. I remember going into a jiu-jitsu gym in Pickering back in the day, and the guy is teaching stuff like that, and step over, toe holds, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there looking over going, where the hell am I? You know, What's going on here right now? Believe it or not, you are the first person I thought of when I saw that submission. I'm like, this is what Pearson would have did about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, maybe 10 years ago. Well, we won't date oh, I'm not saying you're that old, but at least 10 years ago, uh, if some tough guy tried to come into the gym, uh, at the very least try and pick on you. Well, again, I don't. We're saying like this isn't a legitimate move. Chris Jericho is probably one of the greatest all-time wrestlers, you know, in of the time. When you think about it, he was a middleweight competing against heavyweights, just destroying people in that that ring. I feel like you know his skill was ahead of his time, and people are just catching on now. Ralphus is a personal bodyguard from back in the day. Is probably training people. Yeah. There's no doubt it's a, it's a submission move. It can actually work. So can the figure four. And I had this conversation with Sean Ross Sapp a while ago. Has there ever been a figure four in mixed martial arts or something to that effect? I mean, we see choke slams all the time, power slams. Uh, anything can happen. But uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that that's a legit move. In terms of other – sorry, you want to say something? I was going to say the greatest choke slam of all time was uh, – I want to say it was Travis Fulton. Oh, yeah. I remember him grabbing a karate guy and just – Basically slamming him through the octagon floor. <laughs> the guy was in like a coma afterwards. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not for real, but I just mean his body went all limp. <laughs> I was like, holy cow! But again, back in the day, in these small shows, there's mismatches, and that was one of them. Travis had like you know five thousand fights, and this guy coming in with his black belt probably had two. Is it back? You know something? How impressive is it that Sean Pearson, a former UFC fighter, has that kind of knowledge on Chris Jericho? Yeah, he even knew. I, I did. He knew uh, what was it called JPS or whatever. And Jericho Personal Security. Amazing. I was very impressed. Amazing. Now uh, I want to just uh, one thing Sean said that I agree with. He said on minor league shows the skill discrepancy is pretty huge in some of these fights. And in case anybody wants to look up that fight on YouTube, it took place for a promotion called Full Contact Contender, or the show was called Full Contact Contender 19 out of Manchester, England. The guy who actually applied the Boston Crab, his name was Jono Mears. And the guy that submitted his name is Aaron Jones. Um, and going back to the whole skill discrepancy thing, 
So Aaron Jones, that was his first professional fight. His fight, last fight prior to that was an amateur fight in May, and he lost that fight via uh, first-round TKO. So he's not exactly a highly skilled fighter. Um, Aaron Jones, if you ever see this, just go do something else. Like go go work at a bakery yes. or something and get out of, the, of an MMA cage. But uh, it really happened. A guy submitted in a legitimate fight to the walls of Jericho. Awesome. What else can you say about that? There's not a lot. It's embarrassing for the guy getting put in. It's, it's equal parts impressive and embarrassing. It is. It is. Uh, let's talk about Stephanie McMahon for a second, one of my favorite people to talk about on the show. So um, there's a podcast called McMahon-splaining, and it's – it's yeah. That's right, <laughs> Nigel. It's called McMahon-splaining, and it's on Uproxx. And uh, uh, WWE always talks to these people because it's probably because it's called McMahon Splaining. Uh, Triple H just talked to them. Stephanie McMahon. I think, just, I think they were just on the the May Young red carpet. Oh, is that what it was? And they just so they're just splicing up clips. Yeah. Okay. So um, she was asked about being a heel on television while also being a public figure uh, as as a you know WWE executive, and her response was, "It's called acting." That's what she said, Sean. It's called acting. Um, now, first and foremost, there ain't no Emmy in Stephanie McMahon's future. Let's 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 call a spade a spade. And one of the things that I have always said I hate most about pro wrestling is when you have uh, a wrestling performer in character on a show, and then on the same show they're out of character. It irritates me a little bit because again, you're not going to watch it. You're not going to watch uh, The Godfather and see Al Pacino. Off having a beer with, I'm trying to think of whoever he was feuding with in that, uh, whoever. But you're, you're not going to see that in the movie, right? And so, for example, during those Dana War segments on SmackDown, we're taping this on Wednesday, on SmackDown on Tuesday night, there had just been a tag team match. Charlotte and Becky against Carmella and Natalia, right? They had just had a tag team match. Not more than like two segments later, they're in the Dana Warrior segment together huddled in, yeah. a, in, in a hug with the, with, the, with the breast cancer survivors, hugging and laughing and clapping and smiling. I hate that shit. Yes, we that, know it's fake. We know yeah. it's fake and we know it's, it's predetermined entertainment, but you don't have to throw that in our faces, right? The cancer segment doesn't bother me as much, them doing it there, because I could if, – if a kayfabe explanation was given like, okay, guys, let's, let's tame it down for the cancer segment type of thing. Put your personal differences aside. It's not like they love cancer. Who are they? The Ultimate Warrior? <laughs> so uh, now let's talk about Shane McMahon. Yeah, let's. He's going to jump off some. Actually, maybe not. As, um, geez, I wish I could find his his Twitter handle so I could put him over. I was talking to I think it was Wolf Bible on Twitter said, well, what do you think the odds are of maybe Kevin Owens getting tossed off this cell? And I was like, you know what? Maybe, because I don't remember a time they've straight up advertised somebody's getting thrown off this cell right, right. until now. And Kevin Owens, because he's different and because right. this this feels different because of him, he straight up goes out there and says, I am throwing you off of that cell. Right. I think that's cool. Yeah, it could happen. Well, um, so Shane McMahon, so I, I, I feel like I've told this before. But Amy Weber, who was one of the original uh, Diva Search girls, uh, she uh, made it to the SmackDown brand. If I recall, she was like JBL. Can't pretend that I was ever expecting us to talk about Amy Weber. We're going to talk about Amy Weber because I'm going to talk about Shane through Amy Weber. So she was JBL's uh, secretary on television. I think that was her, her role. 
and uh, she went through a lot of hazing. I interviewed her way back from my old wrestling site. She went through a lot of hazing. Uh, there was a situation where somebody got a hold. I guess she had done softcore porn, like, you know, just like nudity, no actual intercourse. And somebody got a hold of a picture and created a brochure, pretended that it was like from a strip club, uh, and put it on, uh, taped it to like the wall when they were uh, on an overseas tour, but making like they were promoting a strip club with her picture on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, JBL probably did it because JBL is an asshole. But uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for Amy Weber was they were on the plane coming home and she was trying to sleep on the plane and Randy Orton pulled, poured a Bloody Mary all over when she was trying to sleep oh. because Randy Orton's also an asshole. And so when they landed, she went to Shane because Shane was one of the guys that was overseeing the tour and she said, I'm done. Uh, and she quit. And Amy Weber told me in that interview, Shane McMahon was the coolest guy. Shane McMahon is somebody that everybody loved. Uh, had no heat with everybody, with anybody. Everybody respects Shane. The way that I've always heard is that Shane is more like his mother, Linda. Stephanie is more like her father, Vince, in terms of she's got that cutthroat nature, and, and Shane is, is more the type that wants to work things out. Uh, unfortunately, it appears that Shane and Stephanie both are not a chip off the old block when it comes to business decisions. And uh, it came out this week that uh, good old Shane... Uh, lost $500,000 when he decided to invest in a, I believe it was a mobile uh, pot dispensary business, and he decided to invest the money before doing any due diligence, which is so mind-blowing, Sean. How many times have we talked about poor business decisions on the show? Whether it be Flow Slam, Anthem, and now Shane McMahon cut a check for five hundred grand without doing any due diligence first. Then when he decided to go to, I think it was in Colorado, he decided to go to look at their warehouse, flew to their warehouse, and it was an empty warehouse. And turned out that there really was no business, and now he can't get his money back, and he's suing them. Uh, I did a little bit of research into Shane to uh, to get a little idea about stuff that he's done. There was an article, I believe it was in Vice.com, uh, talking about Shane and Vince and all that a couple of years ago. So um, he wanted Vince to buy ECW in 2000. Before they wanted a business, Vince, to his credit, knew just let them die. It'll yeah. be it'll be cheaper. Just let them die, and we'll just pick off the talent. Shane wanted to buy them. Uh, then in 2009, he left WWE to become the CEO of You On Demand, which was a pay-per-view service in China. Uh, while he was in charge, they reported annual losses between six and 16 million, uh, and ended up uh, he ended up kind of leaving that business. Then, according to the Vice.com article. Shane went to Vince McMahon uh, with the idea of taking over the creative team for WWE alongside James Fry. Do you know who James Fry is, Nigel? No. He's a guy that wrote a book called The Million Little Pieces. It was featured in Oprah Winfrey's book club, and then they found out that he had uh, written a bunch of fallacies in it. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was going to be Shane's partner in crime to take over creative WWE, and Vince, Vince passed on that. Um, and now we hear about the, uh, this pot dispensary thing. It's, it's kind of interesting. So Vince Vince was a phenomenal promoter. Now, granted, over the last you know ten or fifteen years, he hasn't been as impressive. Although I think the network was his idea, but uh, he was a phenomenal promoter. He won the promotional wars in pro wrestling. Stephanie's proven to be a ditz or a bit of an idiot, and now Shane has made all of these interesting business decisions, like cutting a check for five hundred grand without doing any due diligence. Isn't that kind of interesting? How that kind of how it all out? played out. A lot of people were like, "Why isn't Shane the one that's?" being given this spot why are triple h and stephanie being handed the reins well maybe we see why 
I mean, I still don't, I don't see anything in Stephanie in terms of business. She doesn't impress me, but Hunter, I think, has a lot of potential to, yes. be, the, to be the man. And, and I think that Hunter will be the man, and I think Stephanie's going to go long, long for the ride because she's the bloodline. Well, you, you've seen, no pun intended, Triple H's evolution of thinking, and now that he doesn't have to worry about putting himself over that much, right? his booking isn't bad. Like, I had said that about Jeff Jarrett. When he booked himself, he was real bad, but a lot of his wrestling booking, right. after, uh, other than that, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Right. Uh, when, when he could think for other characters and... Triple H seems to have his finger on the pulse, at least to some degree, because, I mean, there are even stories like Sammy Callahan telling uh, about how Billy Gunn has went to Triple H when Triple H would see Solomon Crow have, like, a, a balls-to-the-wall match. Did you hear that story? No, I don't think so. Apollo Crews uh, one time said to Sammy Callahan, Solomon Crow. We're going to do whatever kind of match you want to do tonight. If we get in trouble, I'll take the heat for it. I want you to be able to show them what you have. And then when they had this awesome match, Triple H said, where has this guy been? And Billy Gunn stood up and said, you've been jobbing him out every week. Really? On TV. Yeah, like, and Norman Smiley stood up for him too. So there are times, and of course, who can be right 100% of the time? No, that'd be good. Who can be right 100% of the time? But that being said, Shane McMahon's percentage is Awful low. Yeah, now, now to Shane McMahon's credit, back when the UFC was struggling prior to the Ultimate Fighter, he wanted his dad to buy the UFC. Uh, and when you look in retrospect, I mean, they sold for $4 billion. That could have been a pretty good pickup. But at the same time, without the Ultimate Fighter, the UFC arguably would not have became what they became. But uh, but again, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I as a business owner myself, if Nigel came to me and said, hey, I have an idea for a mobile dispensary, I'm looking for investment, uh, will you cut me a check for $500,000? Uh, I want a business plan. I want to see your, your headquarters in your warehouse. I want to visit the place. I'm not just going to be like, yeah, let me get my checkbook. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what Shane did because he didn't visit the warehouse until afterwards. So until well afterwards and it was basically non-existent. Right. And the, the UFC thing is interesting because also he pride, he had an interest in that. Right. Uh, and... As Joe Rogan has stated before, that was another bad one because the UFC basically bought a video library. Right. That's pretty much it because the contracts were very – they bought a video library and a few fighters. Right. That was it. Right. But had they done the UFC purchase, who knows if any of the other potential investments or investment ideas would have even happened because you don't know. Yeah, It's hard to say how the UFC would have been in the hands of somebody else because – it really seemed like Dana White was the person to take that to where where it is, but right, right. Well, I was going to talk about this later, but it kind of fits, so I'll talk about it now. So, speaking of uh, poor business decisions, Billy Corgan, he, uh, oh boy, he told Sports Illustrated that he has actually spoken to Ed Nordholm, uh, Bruce Nyborg, about a NWA versus Impact Wrestling deal. Um, and it hasn't gone anywhere yet. He said that he has, if you can believe this, Sean, a 20-year plan for the NWA. A 20-year plan. Does that mean that it's going to take him two decades to make any money? I hope that that's not the business plan for Fightful. Because if so, maybe maybe good for job security, but maybe not good for my self-esteem, mental state, your pocketbook. I'll be uh, happy if those. I, dude, I'll be happy if I get another 20 years out of life. Yeah, because, because this day and age you can never predict it. So exactly, exactly. I would never so, have a twenty-year plan for any business, ever. You know what? We need to do a Raja.com versus TPWW.net 
like rivalry is what we need. It's That's mind blowing. It's you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Mind blowing. Woo! It's, it's I, so, uh, like, they've got a library. They've got a video library. And they've got a time slot. That's it. They do. That's it. How many how many viewers were they doing? Was it two hundred fifty thousand a week on Pop? Something like that. Something thousand. And man, do I, I like some of the people in Impact. They've their roster is interesting right now. I'll say that some good, some bad. How how would that deal benefit anybody? How would it benefit know. anybody? How do you think that this NWA deal is going to work out? Like by all indications, it seemed like Jeff Jarrett wanted to make Global Force Wrestling modern NWA, and that's what Corgan wants to do. Same thing. And that's, yeah. Well, first off, uh, let's get the belt off that 52-year-old that probably paid to win it. Yeah. Tim Storm. No no offense to him. I don't know him. Maybe he's a great, nice dude. I've heard he is. Yeah. 52 years old. Doesn't need to be holding your NWA title. If anything could have generated positive buzz for NWA, and I can't believe they didn't do this, how didn't they put the title on Cody Rhodes at all when they had the opportunity? I think that I should buy an NWA title. And I think that I should just declare publicly that Nigel is the NWA champion. <laughs> and then it would have uh, probably more validity to it than, than what's going on here. Also, I would probably try to wrestle Nigel yeah. because I'm a bit of a belt mark. But but who who could dispute that Nigel is not the NWA champion? That's true. How was how what's his name? Tim, Tim Storm. Storm. When Tim did Storm. he when did he win the title and when did he last defend it? Well, he defends it all the time. I do know that. Oh, does he? Wrestle. Yeah, he wrestles. Uh, but, let me do, see do, but does he just bring it to independent appearances and call it a title shot? Is that what I'm he does? I'm sure there are NWA territories, but I did notice yeah. like NWA Smoky Mountain, which is one of their the NWA's more prominent territories. Uh, right. Fightful.com writer John Morehouse used to do some work for them. Uh, they're not NWA anymore. They changed their names. So right. uh, let me let me look at how long ago Tim Storm won this. It's been a while. He's had I quite mean, a it, pain. You'd be essentially paying them a fee for nothing. This year or this month, it goes on a year. That he's had the title. That, yeah, before that, it was Jax Dane, and Jax Dane. If you look at him, he looks like I hate to say, it, looks like a pro wrestler, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's huh. a guy. He's worked for Ring of Honor. He's worked for Impact. He's worked for uh, New Japan. So he he has been somewhere. Before that, what the NWA did was they would latch on to a new company like every decade. Like in right. the eighties, it was. WCW and right. the 90s 
WCW, ECW, and WWF. Smoky, yeah, Smoky Mountain was their big one in the nineties. Yeah, in in the in the two thousands, it was TNA. That's right. This decade, we've seen it with Ring of Honor and New Japan. They latched onto them and kind of made it a thing, but like, right. Uh, Great. Well, this this is the perfect segue to stupid people. So go ahead, Nigel. All right. <laughs> this is a stupid song. It just goes on and on. You might find some meaning, but you would be wrong. Okay, man. I got a couple good ones for you. Do you? So first off. Thanks to Trevor Strong, trevorstrong.org, for the usage of the stupid song. This first one was reported by NOLA.com on September 22nd. Uh, NOLA.com, uh, New Orleans News. A man was injured after he leaned over a balcony on Bourbon Street to spit on people as they walked by ah. and fell over the balcony down to the street. You like that one, Nigel? Oh, that's good. Then it took us a dozen city police and state troopers to keep the crowds moving so that the ambulance could get in there to pick him up. And there was no word as to his condition uh, at the time of that writing. So good to him. Good for him. This next one was reported by the Boston Globe on September 25th. You're a, you're a football fan, right, Sean? I'm, 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 I'm really not, but you are. So you'll, Are you a football fan, Nigel? Uh, not really. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, <laughs> Boston Globe reported. I didn't mean any disrespect. I'm just being Jesus. honest. Jesus. I'm just being. I'm not a football fan either. I'm not. No, no. It's no, so it's okay. No offense taken. It was reported by the Boston Globe on September 25th that during a New England Patriots game on a hot Sunday afternoon, Gillette Stadium was unable to keep up with demand for bottled water. Oh man! And once they ran out, they decided to fill cups with tap water and charge four dollars and fifty cents a cup. A That's t- like, like. Do they do they not remember how Woodstock '99 went down? Do you remember of, that or Woodstock 2000 where they were charging people like $6 for bottles of water and all that crap and the place got set on fire and Yeah, but this was tap water. Yeah, I know. Tap water was crazy for tap thing water. people. The fluoride, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> so a team spokesman, uh, I guess spokesperson, Stacy James said, "We apologize that should not have happened." <laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> Good job, guys. Way to, way to go. <laughs> now, the claim from Gillette Stadium was that they had to charge because they didn't have an abundance of cups. And so they said they had to charge for that reason. I don't think a cup costs four bucks and a half. Don't think it does. Probably ten cents or less. So Yeah, that would have been like, what, six dollars in Canada? That's right. That would have been six dollars in Canada. That would have been expensive. I would have bought one just to throw it back at concessions, personally. Could have this, put it uh, in the background of our podcast, the $6 cup. Maybe I would have put them in the walls of Jericho, Sean. See if they tap out. This last one, I tried to keep the best for last, Sean. And as a parent myself, this one I found very interesting. So yeah. it was reported by WJAX TV out of Jacksonville, Florida on September 30th that an elementary school in Jacksonville called the Carter G. Woodson School decided to remove toilet paper from bathroom stalls. Oh. And instead, hand out wads of toilet paper to individual students as needed. So they're actually going to give you a little ball off the roll when you need it to go. They claimed it was due to misuse or waste. Parents complained, as you can imagine. Imagine the hygiene in that, Sean. Oh, boy. Okay, so 
I worked and volunteered at a Boys and Girls Club of America for, for quite a while. And you took this, the toilet paper out of the stalls? No, we did not. Uh, <laughs> if anything, I would gladly stock those things and make sure there was plenty. Because, well, first off, you don't know how much you're going to need. So and it's one parent too much than not enough. One parent claimed that was their argument, and they were told by the school if they need more, they just have to ask. So while they're taking a shit, they can yell over the stall, right? I need more. Yeah, that's that's not humiliating at all. Exactly, exactly. Hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I need the toilet paper. One bullshit either. One parent said. There was one parent that said that they would send a roll of toilet paper in a Ziploc bag to school with their kid. Now, I hope my wife doesn't come upstairs because she is going to school to be a teacher. Oh, yeah. Doing her observations, and there have been times I've had to scream at her to not bring me that two-ply shit anymore. Tell her to make sure that they have toilet paper in the stalls at school, man. Now, oh, man. there's a there's happy ending to this story. Because of all the bad PR, they put the toilet paper back in the stalls. Yeah, well, you gotta. You yeah. have to. Yeah. That's a disaster. And That's I'm sure, disaster. I'm sure... I bet you... Duty disaster. I bet you some idiot was just trying to save a few bucks, even though a roll of toilet paper is, what, 15 cents? Yeah, right. and I'm sure they get, like, you, you know they get the wholesale deal. They're, Subsidized, they're yeah. They're ordering for some from some outlet and all that stuff, yeah. Yep, yep. So moving on, let's talk about a fun topic called lawsuits and threats. Well, before we get to that, yep. worth noting, somebody in the chat pointed out Jazz is the NWA women's champion right now. Is Has she? Been, yeah. Okay, when did she win it, and when did she last defend it? September 2016 is when she won it. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, I'll look at when she last defended it. I'll pull up her old cage match profile here. Good for Jazz. Well, it looks like she, she is wrestling somewhat. I mean, she beat Robin Reed at NWA Elite in July. Good for her. Good for her. So, Hopefully the 30-day rule doesn't apply, because otherwise uh, she's yeah. going to be stripped of that title. So, uh, lawsuits and threats. So, uh, some fun stuff came up this week uh, about lawsuits and threats, and I wanted to bring it up. So, i got to tell you that I have had times in the past, and I talked about it with the Warriors thing, but in business, I've had times in the past when people have threatened lawsuits against me, and I know that they're only doing it to get out of paying a bill. Yeah. That's why they do it. There was one time, uh, I've, I don't no, talk when about I this. Met, when I met the, uh, the attorney at the Jays game, I said... No offense, but I hope I don't get to know you anytime soon. But you right. never know. And he's a good he's a good lawyer too. <laughs> yeah. But there there was one time years ago that I had a, a competitor after I poached one of their employees. They sent me a legal letter basically threatening to sue me if I if I didn't basically fire the employee. Uh, and what I've always done every single time, every time someone has threatened a lawsuit, every time I have always said bring it, and every time they've gone away. Because all it is is threats. That's all it is, right? They're just trying to either get a buck off you or they're trying to scare you into going away. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, some stuff has happened lately. Um, Chris Harrington actually reported for Fightful that WWE was served a subpoena in August in Connecticut by Samantha Rotunda, who was the ex-wife of Bray Wyatt. And uh, she's looking for documents related to Wyatt's income and earning capacity because uh, her lawyer thinks it's relevant to issues surrounding alimony and child support. WWE claims, which is nonsense, they claim 
that to comply to the subpoena, the cost for them would be somewhere between $247,000 and $483,000, which is absolute bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and so to Samantha Rotonda, I say don't be afraid about this bullshit. Keep pressing it if you think you earn it, you deserve it because WWE is just throwing around those big numbers to try to scare you into going away. That's all it is. Then uh, Ryan Satin from Pro Wrestling Sheet reported on September 27th that the Young Bucks got a cease and desist letter from WWE over the use of the too-sweet hand gesture, um, even though it's questionable if they actually own the IP. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, I think the Bucks did the right thing. You don't want to be tied up in court paying a bunch of legal fees. So I think they did the, the right thing and they complied. Uh, they tried to be smart about it. They created a new shirt that kind of teased you know, the whole cease and desist thing. They had tights uh, that had that gesture on it. They put them on eBay with the proceeds going to charity. So they tried to do the best they could about it. But uh, it still happened. And then Will Ospreay uh, tweeted on October 3rd that he also got a cease and desist from WWE saying that he can no longer sell items that utilize Paw is War or Kitty Style on it. Ah, WWE found out who New Japan are. But Kitty Style, what does that have to do with anything? Ah, uh, I don't know. And I don't know if... Could it be Doggy Style? Is that what? Yeah, like I, don't, I don't know if maybe he's just drumming up publicity. Here's the thing. I've not heard from anybody outside of the Young Bucks about this cease and desist and and a cease and desist has been a long running like storyline in there being the elite series which is great we post all the episodes if i were them whether i got served with that cease and desist or not i would have said that i did after that monday Mm. i would have said that i did because how much buzz has this created Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. merchandise have they sold oh i'm sure how much here's the thing nobody's going to start to dislike them because of this no not but it might turn some people or it might bring attention to some people. And you know they're going to do something like they're going to be like three sweet or some shit like that. And right. they're going to make a million bucks off of that. They're, they're, I don't know about a million, Sean. They're going to make quite a bit. They're yeah. doing they're doing much better right now than they would be if they were under WWE contract. Yeah, I know, but that that hot topic thing is not going to last forever. But you know what? They need to ride it out as long as they can. So they sell good. like crazy. I've got a... a, a Got somebody who works at a Hot Topic in Lexington, and I'll always ask them, how's this shirt selling? How's this shirt selling? How's this shirt selling? I would have never thought that in Kentucky that Bullet Club and stuff like that would be selling so well. Right. It sells very, very well. Right, right, yeah. Uh, last but not least, Cole Cabana was on the uh, Live Audio Wrestling podcast this past week talking about the – well, he didn't talk about it, but he just kind of touched upon the lawsuit against uh, Dr. Chris, uh, a man who's the, the doctor for WWE – out of the whole CM Punk podcast. And uh, this one is an unfortunate one because Cole Cabana is one of these victims. Obviously, he's got limited resources. He's being sued by a a giant corporation. He has no choice, really, but to defend it because otherwise, what's he going to do? Pay a settlement. So he's defending it, paying a lot of legal fees. He said that it's cost him a lot of money. He said it's always on his mind. So clearly, he's under a lot of stress over it. Uh, And he said it's, it's changed the way that he does his podcast because he's afraid of getting sued again. And that's unfortunate. And and, and honestly, yeah. I, I'm not a lawyer, but I would think that he, as the host of the podcast, he was only kind of playing off what Punk was saying. Like, I don't I even that, understand. I thought that was the greatest wrestling podcast in the history of podcasts, that single episode. I yeah, but I don't, was... know, I don't know how Cole Cabana is uh, guilty of anything. Yeah, because... he, just, he just hosted it. Yeah, he just hosted it. So I, I don't really understand that. But So from what I understand, it's had a bearing on his relationship with CM Punk as well. 
Which, you know, a relationship with CM Punk is oftentimes volatile. We've heard Hornswoggle say that him asking for tickets from a band that he knew through CM Punk got him on the outs with Punk, too. But it it is a bummer. I thought that 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 podcast was great. It Mm -hmm. was interesting. It did a lot of good, a lot of bad. It created a lot of buzz. But it's unfortunate that that happened if... And you know, I've seen photos of CM Punk with the the aforementioned like staff infection on his mm-hmm. back. Like they're out there. I'll never forget <laughs> after that dropped, WWE sent me and a bunch of other people in the media like four minutes of CM Punk ass shots from the Royal Rumble, like to prove that he didn't have that on his back. Okay, did they send you those ass shots because you were requesting them repeatedly? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> Good one. Uh, but Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you say off the air about the whole raspberry thing, Sean? What was that little little joke you made? What are you talking about? What yeah, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Are you about. taking hallucinogenics right now? What uh-huh. are you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. My joke was a lot better than yours, Sean. A lot better Odd. than yours. You know exactly what was, I'm talking Jim. about. You're hilarious. I am hilarious. I am. I need to be in order to keep up with the likes of you, man. Ah... Yeah, an even better one. Yeah. So what, what, what's the next on the list? What do we got um, next? So I want to talk about Cody Rhodes. Yeah. So he announced, I, I was going to get to this last week, but then we ran out of time. So he announced uh, a couple weeks ago now that he has signed a contract with Ring of Honor that gives them uh, exclusivity domestically in the U.S. He's still doing stuff outside the U.S., um, but domestically he's exclusive to them and the one thing I found interesting about this is that I thought that this was very creatively spun it was spun like it was a really big deal for Ring of Honor to get this guy and there was like a real big spin job on it and I was watching all that stuff and I was thinking to myself in my opinion I don't know Cody Rose's business situation but in my opinion the reason that he, he did this deal is because he probably got tired of working for independent promoters and he probably got tired of making sure he's got his flight booked into a town, he's got his flight booked out of a town, making sure he's got his hotel lined up, making sure that he gets his deposit on time in situations when he wants a deposit, making sure he gets his payoff after a show. You know how much shit he probably dealt with dealing with independent a promoters? A lot. Apparently his schedule was a little more demanding than when he was in WWE. Oh, no, I, I, I believe that. But I'm just saying I think that the catalyst for him deciding to go exclusively with Ring of Honor in the U.S. is probably because he probably dealt with a lot of shit. Yeah, probably, I would probably say dealt so. with, Right? And so I thought it was a very interesting spin uh, when they tried to make like this, this grandiose signing when in reality I think he did it out of necessity, my opinion. Well, I know that they wanted to sign him exclusively for, much, for, for a long time. They right. wanted to. Right. He was really, really smart about how he did things. With that list, he set himself mm-hmm. up that entire summer, and then when that run ended, he was smart enough to realize it was time to go heel. And he went heel in a fantastic manner. He associated himself with Bullet Club. Right. And he's a guy who doesn't necessarily always have outstanding matches. He doesn't really hardly ever have outstanding matches. The one with Okada was really good. But he set himself up into a position where I'm, like, begging for a match with Kenny Omega down the line. Like, they got these two Bullet Club leaders. Mm -hmm. He's on being the elite, and his dry sense of humor is really good. Like, 
he's very smart and he knows how to play his cards. He knew when it was time to turn heel. He knew when it was time to leave WWE. Mm-hmm. He knew when it was time to get the hype out about his indie run. And he knew when it was time to uh, leave Impact Wrestling. <laughs> he knew when it was time to sign a full-time deal. So good mm-hmm. on him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I know that uh, he's still got good relations with WWE. I mean, obviously, Dusty Rose is a made man in WWE. So he's still got uh, good relations with them. Uh, I understand that he wants to write a book about his dad. And he would he would have to get WWE permission in terms of trademarks. So that, that might be why he's maintaining good relations. But that's a bridge you don't want to burn. Like, why would you, right? Well, that that Monday thing, Vince McMahon, I was told, didn't sell the invasion, quote-unquote, at all backstage. But by all indications, what we've seen over the past couple of weeks, if those cease and desists are true, mm. then he he wasn't too happy. But, you know, that I think some of it might be business ploy, that, that type of stuff. I mean, honestly, I look the way I look at it, if I was Vince McMahon, with all due respect to the Young Bucks and with all due respect to Cody Rhodes, if I'm Vince McMahon, I'd be like, who the fuck are you? You're not even on my radar. Yeah. Right? WWE is so much larger than every other wrestling company in the world that who cares if they're doing uh, uh, the thing outside the building? It wouldn't bother me one bit. But It was very interesting how much more Gallows and Anderson were throwing these up all over the place. (laughs) And then they had NXT wrestlers do like a click tribute the day after. I was like, come on now. That is super petty. Right. Super petty. Right, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Brandon uh, Howard's article for a second. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he's got a piece out today. We're doing this on October 4th, looking at uh, WWE business. And one thing that was interesting about his analytics is that uh, he has determined that the drop in attendance that has occurred on the SmackDown brand does not coincide with Jinder Hall becoming WWE champion. It coincides with John Cena leaving the SmackDown brand to go to Raw. Uh, Brandon's numbers show that when Jinder became the WWE champion in May, uh, now granted he didn't move the needle in a positive direction, but things stayed flat until August, and then when Cena went to Raw, that's when things dropped off. Yeah. So uh, Cena really is the, the needle mover, and as a matter of fact, I've seen images from some Raw tapings uh, where Cena's not advertised with Mr. Roman Reigns, who we're going to talk about uh, after the next segment here. We'll talk about him. But uh, they also are struggling attendance-wise. Uh, compared to where they were a couple of months ago. So Cena's still the man. You know? Yeah, he is. He very much is. Uh, you can point to Jinder Mahal in television viewership, which is you know <laughs> spotty anyway, and you can say that that, is, that does coincide because since Jinder Mahal became number one contender, mm-hmm. they're averaging sub 2.5 million. And mm-hmm. before that, they had never gotten that low. And right. now they're averaging that. Uh, definitely go check out Brandon Howard's piece. But yeah, John Cena is still that guy. And yes. to yes. me, I, I really think that their best opportunity to make an attraction that people are like, I, I can't miss what that guy's going to do that's around full-time, is Braun, and I don't think they're doing that. Now, can he be the guy that shows up on the Today Show? No, unless he's yeah, breaking no. a desk or something. No. Like, if they have him on the Today Show and he power slams, like, Michael Strahan through a table, then yeah, sure. Yeah. Whatever. So I was I was going to talk about it after the uh, the next segment, but you know what? We'll talk about the we'll talk about it first since we're talking about it now, and then we'll put the segment on at the end of the show this week. So um, Dave Meltzer, who I, I listen to his stuff sometimes and I respect him, he uh, this week was talking about. So Roman Reigns has been given a massive opportunity, right? For three years he has headlined WrestleMania. 
uh, and he has done so despite the fact that he has not proven that he is capable of being in that position. He hasn't proven that he is an attend live, attend live event attendance draw. He hasn't proven that he's a major merch mover. Uh, compared to anybody else that's been in that same spot, especially over that period of time. So the question that Meltzer was asked was, who else could have been in that spot? Because it's arguable that they could have put somebody else in that spot and done as well or better than what Roman Reigns has done. But I think the question becomes, who else could be in that spot? Because when you look at what's required to be the top guy, you got to have a look. I mean, that's very important to WWE. you got to have a marketable look, uh, maybe more so than anything else. And uh, who else could there be? Because when you think about it, so, so Cena now is part-time. Brock is part-time. Orton is becoming part-time. Orton said on uh, Edge of Christian's podcast he doesn't like doing international tours anymore. So he's becoming part-time. Kevin Owens is not going to be that guy. Shinsuke Nakamura is not going to be that guy. Bobby Roode's probably not going to be that guy. Nakamura will be part-time before long anyway. Yeah, and, and just with the English, they just, they'll never put him on Conan O'Brien. So who else really is there... Because when you look at it, I don't, I'm not convinced that Roman is the guy. I think that Roman has proven over three years that he's not. But who else is there? There really isn't anybody else. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is what happens when you, as I've said, you sacrifice the quality of your show to try to do something. And there, there are these people that are like, appeal to the masses, appeal to the masses. You might want to hold on to those guys that are there. That's, that's what I think Triple H has gotten really good at, at recognizing where the bread is buttered. You start by holding on to the people who give a shit about wrestling. And then if you find something that catches fire with them, there's a pretty good chance it'll catch fire with other people too. They've got to do that. I mean, it, it's just hard to look at their roster, even NXT. It's hard to look at their roster and look at one guy and say, that guy's going to be the next guy. Because they really don't seem to have that guy right now. And and two or three years ago when they started putting Roman in the spot, you could see then he wasn't going to be the guy. Because he just doesn't have the personality for it. He doesn't have the gift of gab the way Cena does. You know, you, you can't put him on talk shows and have him carry it the way Cena does. Well, look, look what Cena does on the Today Show. Roman Reigns is never going to be that guy. Ever. Mm -hmm. He needs somebody to play off of to, to essentially be the leader or the host of the segment because he can't do it on his own. Um, but there really is nobody else, and this is kind of the spot that they put themselves in. And uh, I know Meltzer had said, well, maybe at one point it could have been Seth Rollins, but now they kind of killed him. Maybe it could have been Dean Ambrose, although em Ambrose after the Stone Cold podcast, I would never put him in that spot. I thought ever. that – I really thought after the Shield breakup that it looked like to a much lesser degree, but they had their this generation's Stone Cold, Rock, and Triple H, and it ain't easy to tell which one was which out of those three – Again, to a much smaller scale. Yeah. But even if you have a much smaller scale version of those three guys, you're doing pretty damn good. Yeah. And, I mean, those were three guys I thought they could build around. They had enough talent. They still do have enough talent to where they're running three brands. Mm -hmm. And if you utilize those talents correctly, I think they could have three interesting brands. Not only that, four touring brands because you get two out of NXT. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I you know, know there know. there was a time when I thought it could be Cesaro, because Cesaro's got a phenomenal look, especially when they put him in the suits, and he speaks like six languages. I thought uh, it could be in Europe. 
Yeah, maybe, but you know, you know, the one thing about Cesaro that kind of killed it for me is, you know, so he had the the run, he dumped Big Show at WrestleMania, the crowd went ape shit, everybody thought this is his chance. They killed him dead with Paul Heyman. But do you remember when they gave Cesaro an opportunity to do a promo on Raw, and Cesaro got in the ring and he said, "Between these four ropes," do you remember that? Yeah. And then light bulb went off in his head because he realized he fucked up, and he goes, "I mean, these four sides." And I yeah. saw that, and I was like, your shot is gone. There is your chance, and your chance is gone. Right there. So He's a little too reserved in that regard. Yeah, he might be. He might be. It's hard, man, because the personalities, which is what you need, the guys that have that personality do not have the other traits required. Like an Xavier Woods, who's got a phenomenal personality, is never going to be that guy. right? Yeah, unfortunately. Well, I thought Big E had that personality. I still do. He doesn't have the other traits. He doesn't have the other traits. I think he's fine in the ring. Like he's got he's got the ability to lift up anybody, do his his little finish. He can fly through the ropes at you. He can. We've seen him have good matches. I was very surprised when he was kind of pushed down. Which you never know what will happen with the breakup of New Day because Kofi's a little older. It ain't gonna be him. Right. Xavier. Is a, another guy, his bread's buttered maybe somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Big E is still, he's, he's still got a possibility. Do I do I think that he's going to be the guy to carry things? No, but no. I think he can be a, a valuable contributor. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the guys that we're seeing in NXT are smaller, mm-hmm. and you got the Authors of Pain who generally fit the profile of the kind of guy WWE would want, but they don't talk. No, they can't be Paul that guy. With them. They're, they're doing a very smart thing. With Authors of Pain where they're like, okay, how about you guys work with Eric Young mm-hmm. and you all work with Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson and now Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. It's like, okay, that, that's kind of a smart way to bring them about. Also, that being said, those are the only two guys probably in the company that if you put them up against the shield, I would be like, okay, they stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I, a guy like Drew Galloway I think has the look. Because, again, WWE is all about the look. And he's, you know, a tall guy and he's in shape. You know, put him in a suit and make him look pretty and all that. But, again, when you put Drew Galloway on a, on The Tonight Show, is he going to be like John Cena or Hulk Hogan? I highly doubt it. No, I mean, he does have the benefit of looking like a giant Orlando Bloom, so there's that. <laughs> if he came back to WWE, I, I like the main roster, I think mm-hmm. that there's a couple of great ways they could take it, depending on if he's a heel or a babyface, and depending on how his promo skills at that point are because he was McMahon's chosen one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and based on that you can go one of two ways you can have him beg and just grovel to be the chosen one again as a heel Mm -hmm. or say I'm going to shove it straight up your ass because you fired me I'm going to make myself the chosen one type of thing can you think of anybody from the outside that like what about like an EC3 how do you think he would do if they put him in a big spot in WWE so I've thought about that and that's something I've actually mentioned him before and I'm like how would they his contract's up next year I believe the last mm-hmm. time I asked him about it it was but here's a couple things I wonder one he's 34 mm-hmm. they've tried with him before they didn't try too hard but he's known as Dixie Carter's nephew on that show so I don't know if they would try to have him come in and make an example out of him type of thing you know what I mean yeah. how old is Roman now I think 32 is, is that's all he is? Is thirty two? Yeah. Now that hey, when I say thirty four, that doesn't really matter anymore. Samoa yeah. Joe's thirty eight. Like yeah, 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 you got yeah. guys wrestling into their forties, and 
it's something I hear Conrad Thompson talk about a lot. It's kind of weird when we look back and think that people were looking at Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan at 40-42 thinking over the hill. Yeah, yeah. Wipe them out. Vince McMahon's running these uh, huckster and old billionaire Ted segments on them. And now 40, 40 is the new 30 as it pertains to pro wrestling. Yeah, except they want to go part-time once they hit that they're, age if they're they can. Signed, they're signing Bobby Fish and Shayna Baszler. I never thought they would sign Shayna Baszler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they signed her because of Ronda Rousey. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, they they could have gotten Ronda Rousey just by putting Shayna in that tournament. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It doesn't hurt, though, right? If they're trying to get Ronda, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, whatever. I guess it's going to be interesting. I mean, I mean, you know, Roman just had the pass torch by Cena. Clearly, they're going to go with him. The the plan is uh, that he's going to beat Brock at Mania. Did you um, see the picture of everybody passing the torch to Roman? I did. I did. And you know what? To WWE's credit, if anything is going to help him get over the hump, maybe the Shield reunion will do it, right? Because people want to see the Shield yeah. reunion. So maybe that will get him over the hump. But again, outside of his look, because, yeah, he has the, the, the movie star look, outside of that, I just don't see the guy in Roman Reigns, and I never have. I so, think it's too far gone. I think he is what he is at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what happens, man. I'm down for it. I mean, I just think you should let him be what the audience wants him to be. Whatever they react to, just, I, like I said, I've loved him since February. Keep, I think, keep it up. I think a heel turn is not a bad idea short term. There's nothing wrong with it because that's what the people want, right? And if you make him a heel, make him be an asshole, then he, maybe he'll become cool as the asshole. And then all of a sudden he's the asshole against heels and then he's a baby face. Tetsuya Naito, he got that kind of reaction kind of like he he was super corny and cheesy and then they made him like he would throw the belt around and tear it up and all this stuff. I mean it's a classic Stone Cold. Stone Cold people was the first, yeah. right? And Stone Cold was the he was the template. He was the guy that, you know, Mr. Man was saying, Oh, it's cool to be bad all of a yeah. sudden. So I think that's what they need to do with Roman. But uh oh, whatever. It is what it is. Should we go to the Divari segment? I don't have a segue, I just figured out how to ask. <laughs> Last thing on the show today. Yeah. Let's hear from it, Nigel. Sean, I had talked to you last year about the uh, Muhammad Hassan Davari angle. Now we're seeing something similar, a little bit different with with Jinder Mahal. Instead of the implied uh, in the implied Muslim, it's it's to an Indian degree. What do you think of that? And and how do you think that yourself and Mark Capani would have fit in this role had Jinder not been there? I think Mark was just a, a circumstance of bad luck. That's all it was. Like if he was just like when I remember the first time I saw Sheamus coming out of the gate, I remember thinking like, shit, this this is the time that a guy like Muhammad needed to be around. This is a time where a new guy could show up and the office could be like, hey, this guy right here, he's he's gonna be a big player, so everybody treat him as such. And they went okay, and Sheamus was taken care of all the way up to like his first title run. You know, they they just. As a company, from the top down, they all decided, like, yeah, we'll get on board with this. Um, that wasn't the case with Mark. It was just like Vince and Johnny. Vince told Johnny, said, Johnny, this is this is our guy. And then Johnny said, okay. And then nobody else knew. So it was just a bullseye on him from everybody. Like, oh, if he, if he makes it, I can't. Or if he becomes the next world champion, I can't be the next world champion. I think this is a shitty timing and circumstantial thing. Uh, I haven't seen any of Jinder's new shit, but the little bit that I have seen, like, I, I don't think there's a better guy qualified for a j- the job as a heel 
heel champion on SmackDown. The Singh brothers are hilarious. I know that you all uh, got back in touch and you all had a couple of appearances together. What was that like? Me and Mark? Mom yeah. And Mark? Yeah, it was great. Like, we, we still talk all the time. He's just, he's like a, a principal of a high school now. You know, he's, he's like a – he went back to college and he was had just a little bit to finish up, became a high school social studies teacher, and he said, oh, this, you know, this school is broken. I really can't make any differences. As a teacher, he went back and got his, like, master's degree and almost – like a doctorate in, in school administration, went back and became the principal of the high school. And, and now, you know, it's a, it's a full-time gig. Like he's, he's really, he's just, you know, I don't, it's not like a teacher. I don't get summers off. I work year round. I have meetings with like government officials about funding for the school. And like, so when he can, we, I, if just something comes up, I just always text him like, Hey, so-and-so wants to do a signing you in. And he'll say, yeah, I don't know. I can't, or I want to, or, you know, it just, we still stay in touch all the time, but he's, Unlike me, he has so much going on outside of the wrestling business that if he can, if it makes sense, he'll do it. But it's not like a thing that he needs it to pay his mortgage or anything anymore. He has a light covered. It's literally just when he misses me or I miss him and we want to see each other, we make it happen. Crazy to think you're still 33 and he's still 35. And there are some guys that are in WWE right now getting their first runs and they're like 33, 34. Now I'll ask you this Almost oh, kind of similar. Have you ever seen Tommaso Ciampa on the road? Like, shit, that guy was my lawyer one time on TV. I don't think last, like, when he, this guy has this amazing match on the NXT show. And I was like, this motherfucker cannot have come out of nowhere. Like, there's nobody that talented yeah. that I've never heard of. And then uh, I forget how it came about. I was like, well, he was the wrestler so and so. Then I looked up, up, he had long hair and no beard. I was like, oh my God, that was our lawyer. Like, he's like, didn't, didn't Arya smarten you up to that? I think it was Ari that pointed that out to you. He's turned me up to his old name. He says he used to wrestle as so-and-so. And then when I Googled his old name, I saw him with the long hair and no beard. I was like, holy shit, that's the, that's the lawyer we had for like a month. Like, I had no idea who was – because the guy was so good. I was like, how the fuck do you get that good? Like, if you're that good, I hear you somewhere. I see on YouTube somewhere. I'm like, this guy cannot just come out of nowhere and be this talented. He's been doing it for When I told Mark, he was he was shocked. Like, he couldn't believe it. He was like, well, that was 12 or 11 years ago. And I was like, yeah. He was 20 years old and looked 42 back then. Now he's 32 and looks 41. Yeah, he, he's like, awesome too. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic, uh, fantastic character. Guys are back. the type of guy. He's He's been a little bit of everywhere, so he's got a lot of different stories. Like, I know that you heard the, the Cody Deaner story. I was going to work on a Feast or Fired feature at one point. <clears throat> Like where he sacrificed his job to save Cody Deaners, then they fired him anyway. Like he's been in Lucha mm-hmm. Underground, TNA, WWE. He's running his own wrestling school with uh, Ken Anderson. Definitely check that out, guys. They have an awesome virtual tour on their website, so I encourage you all to check that out. But uh, I remember he's a good dude to talk to. I remember hearing them when Hogan did that run in at WrestleMania 20. I think it was the one in uh, Hollywood. Uh, maybe it wasn't 20, yeah, it might have been, whatever. I remember hearing that Hogan um, didn't want Davari in the segment because he thought he was too small. Because mm. that was Hulk Hogan, right? Now, uh, one thing uh, about uh, Muhammad Hassan, talking about Muhammad Hassan, Mark Capani, we were just talking earlier about, you know, who could be the man if it's not Roman Reigns. Can you imagine if Mark Capani came along today? That was when, when I did the research for the story. Right. It was like... I talked to a dozen different people, and so many people said, "Had he came along five years later, five years later, five years yeah. later." With and uh, I spoke to Kenny Dykstra of the Spirit Squad this week, 
And, you know, he had a nine-year gap pretty much between his WWE appearances, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what were, what were some of the differences? And he said the locker room. It was, he said the business side of thing. It was much more laid back. It was mm-hmm. a lot different. You had the Bill DeMotts and the Bob Hollies around back then where mm-hmm. they were trying to either jockey to keep their spot or make sure you were worth yours type right. of thing. So. I mean, I never saw Capani, and maybe maybe you talking to him did. I never saw uh, the any kind of like a happy-go-lucky personality or anything like that because no. on television he was always portraying that character, so he was always frowning and he was always cutting serious promos. But you talk about a guy that had a look. The guy was in shape. The guy was a good talker. He was articulate. Uh, He's a cautious he, dude. He's a cautious dude. Oh, like, is he? In real life too. Like, yeah. When I wrote that, like I don't think that he expected that article to come out of our conversation right. like and he he thanked me for it afterwards he was like i definitely didn't expect that yeah, yeah because yeah. it's been a while since he he hadn't been he hadn't talked to anybody for an interview outside of a minor like comic book loop that he worked with chad gaspard so he was used to wrestling writing as it was 12 years ago and mm-hmm. hey we're trying to change that mm-hmm. we're trying to help change that a lot of people are uh in wrestling media so I think maybe he didn't expect that, and with I, I need to talk to him again, modern day, like since this Jinder Mahal thing has exploded. Because yeah, yeah, we had that conversation where I caught up with him a few months later for the launch of Fightful. I was like, "How do you think a similar gimmick based on xenophobia would run nowadays?" And he's like, "I don't know if they could do it. I don't know if they could get away with it with the social media aspect of things." So well, it, it ain't working. It ain't. And, and, you know, we, we've talked so many times about how WWE, uh, uh, they insult the intelligence of their audience. And we've talked about it, again, with like the Jason Jordan storyline, how that was never going to work and all of that. Again, I think a lot of today's wrestling fans know that Jinder Mahal is Canadian. Yeah. I think they know because they're on the internet. They see this stuff. Jinder Mahal has talked about his background. On Jericho's podcast, he talked about growing up in Calgary. They're not hiding this stuff. And and again, I think it's not working in part because the fans are not stupid and they they, they well, know that he's not you know today today if they did it I mean, you know I think that maybe or Muhammad Hassan would probably face the same things he was an Italian dude from New York exactly and and I think the people would know and yeah. I and I and I think the reason that the whole Roman Cena thing got over is because it was inside like we talked about the whole work shoot thing. And it was inside, and the people know. The people aren't stupid. And this is why we talk about they should put Rusev and Lana together on TV because everybody knows they're married, right? This is the stuff that they should do more of because I think that's what people are going to find interesting. And, and Jinder, the, the guy from Calgary, pretending that he's in, uh, you know legit Indian and speaking Punjabi, uh, it, it's, it's, just all, it's just not working. It's just not. He's a bad promo. He's not good in the ring. It's not good. It's just not good TV, in yeah, my opinion. It's not working. Yeah, I agree. And there were all those people that said, oh, at least they're trying something new. At least they're doing something new. That's not always a good thing. Do you remember it's- when Roman Reigns, uh, might have been a year or two ago, because, again, we talk about how uh, we wish that he would uh, press creative more. Remember a year or two ago when I believe Roman Reigns in a promo said, suffer and succotash. Oh, God. That Remember was that? one of the worst things ever, yeah. Can you believe that Shinsuke Nakamura, the challenger at the Hell in a Cell for the WWE title, said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me? <laughs> Nigel, can you fucking believe that? <laughs> they had Shinsuke Nakamura, the challenger for the WWE title, say it on SmackDown this week. 
unbelievable who's ready to I can't to wait until the next time you insult me on the air so I can say, yeah. Nanny Nanny Boo Boo, Snapple Nanny Doo It's so painful. And I, I saw that promo and I thought, okay, if, if the road dog wrote that, I think it's time for you to take a back seat. I think it might be time if you wrote that it promo. Bad. It was so oh, it was bad. Really bad. It was really bad. That's the end of my list this week, man. Guys, I want to encourage you to visit Fightful.com. We have photos, videos, forums. I'm going to run a contest. I'll post it today. We'll decide the, the prize. All you got to do is head over there. Uh, I will actually put it in our open discussion general uh, field today. All you got to do is start a new topic on the Fightful.com forums. Go to the contest field. Type entered. We will pick a winner at random. This weekend, we have Bellator 184. We have UFC 216 with a post-show podcast, two title fights, WWE Hell in a Cell, live post-show after that. We're going to do a podcast with James Lynch tomorrow evening. I'm on a podcast uh, promoting Fightful for another site uh, this evening. I'll get you more information about that, guys. But head over to Fightful.com. We have a ton of exclusives, interviews, news from uh, pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. The Fightful <coughs> Boxing Newsletter returns tomorrow morning. I am stoked. Carlos is finally, like, out of the hurricane, so he can he can finally do this. Very very excited for the return. You know what else returns? Uh, you know what else returns, Sean? What's that? The NHL hockey season is back. As of today, yeah. Wednesday, October fourth, and and uh, according to Vegas odds makers, the team that is predicted, and I know predictions don't mean a lot, but the team that is predicted to come out of the Western Conference and challenge for the Stanley Cup is my beloved Edmonton Oilers. So, so I'm, I'm conflicted here. I'm a very new hockey fan. Yeah. And, you know, I want to force myself to be a Columbus Blue Jackets fan because yeah. I'm really the closest we have. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm, I'm what, like, is that a home team? It's Columbus. It's three and a half hours away. Is it? If it's the closest team. I mean, I'm not from Edmonton. I'm a fan because I grew up at a time when the, the Oilers were a hot team. Yeah, sure. And, and I decided to stick Rescue, with them through. Right? Uh, no, I was a goalie a guy. After. I, no, it was around that time, but I was a goalie guy, so I liked Grant okay. Pure, Andy Moog, Bill Ranford. Those are my guys. Well, the Blue but, Jackets uh, are a fairly new franchise, I know that, but... They're not a bad team. They're not they, a bad team. They, they, they certainly were last year. year. They no. went on that big winning streak, so... They did. Trying, trying to embrace it. Uh, one year, during the Arnold Classic, uh, we were so close to going to a Blue Jackets game. Wouldn't mind going to one where the, the Maple Leafs are in town. I feel a connection to Toronto, Jim. <laughs> I love the city. It's beautiful. But, uh, yeah, the NHL season's back. I got that NHL 18 game that I never play. There you go. There you go. But uh, me, me and my strength and conditioning coach from the fight team, we just put in NHL one, one week and played it, and it was, it was a ball. And I became Fun. a bit of a hockey fan. So Yeah, yeah we got awesome. that too. Aaron Hyden, one of our writers, says the prize for the Fightful Forum contest should be uh, the associate editor job. <laughs> uh, if somebody uh, wants that unpaid as a prize – Hey, I'd be open to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Save a little bit of money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are looking for a new associate editor. Information is pinned to my Twitter, at Sean Rossap. If you'd like to apply, send in to fight, or Sean at Fightful.com. We are getting a lot of submissions, so won't be able to get back to everybody, but I will uh, communicate with you somehow as best I can. Guys, Fightful.com, the Fightful Forums. You can go to forum.fightful.com. FightfulPods.com and of course at Fightful Online cross platform. Follow Jimmy at JimmyVan74, myself at Sean Ross Sapp. Until next time, we are out.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.